Well, I don't want to take too much time tonight in preliminaries. I'd like to get into the Word of God. Amen. If you could turn in Luke chapter 21, we'll be reading three verses of Scripture and trying to get through as much of this as I can. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34 through 36, while you're turning there, we want to remember Pastor and Sister Riggin and Brother Hilton and their travels this week. God keep his hand of protection upon them. We miss them. Amen. Uh, you, uh, it's different not having an amen corner over here over my right hand shoulder. It's different not having and hearing the bishop's voice. And uh, I lean on him and I so appreciate his guidance and his hand and leading in my life. I trust him with my life. Amen. And I pray you do too. Amen. It's an honor to be able to step to the sacred desk, knowing the great men that have been and graced this desk and the trust that pastor has to allow me to deliver the word today. And I do not take it for granted and just honored that I would even be able to do so. Amen. Luke chapter 21, verse 34 through 36 says, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, and drunkenness, and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, pass and stand before the Son of Man. Amen, amen. If we could lay our Bibles down asking God to reach down and touch us and minister to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Master, for this opportunity. We thank you for your spirit that's in this service, God. We ask you, God, to reach down and touch us today. Minister in this house, God. Master, I'm just a vessel of clay and dirt. God, I ask you to reach down and touch and do your will and your way. Yielding myself to you, God, in your ways, God, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Amen. I know it's Wednesday night, or Tuesday night, sorry, in Bible study. And we'll be going through some passages of Scripture. And in a way of introduction, it kind of feels odd, but it feels good. And if after I make my comments, I hope you understand over the past two services, God has spoke to this church to put your foot down and to claim the land that God has promised. And for the manna that sustains will come to an end when the promised land provides for the children of God. And yet there are still some on the fence, unmoving to the promise. And so God is coming a third time to encourage someone to believe what God has promised and in order to get to that promise, you must pass the test at the rock. And so tonight, I would like to deliver my heart under the title of Passing the Test at the Rock. Passing the Test at the Rock. And I don't need to recap everybody's messages from this weekend. I'm sure they're fresh in your mind and in your heart. But I would like to roll us back 40 years prior to where Pastor talked about 40 years prior to where Brother Albritton was preaching, and we're going to talk about Moses, and we'll hopefully end up where both of them picked up 
and generalities of picking up in Joshua. Amen. But we're going to be going through some of the passages of Scripture in Deuteronomy, and I want to just bear my heart and deliver it. I love my church family. I would not be where I'm at today if it wasn't for my church family that loved me and prayed for me, and I hope you feel the same way. Amen. A character study of Moses opens the book to one of the greatest figures in the Bible, and even of all of history. We'll dig into this just a little bit more later on, but we know of the three segments of Moses' life that go in 40-year increments. We find he was a prince in Egypt, a shepherd in Midian, and a leader of Israel. The depth of the story is not limited to the story of telling the story of Moses and the Sunday school stories that are told that I grew up hearing as a young man, a young child in Sunday school. And what unfolds from the life of Moses is the parallel picture of Christ. And Moses wrote about the coming Messiah in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. The word prophet written in the verse is singular, and Moses is speaking of the coming Messiah. We also find that Jesus then in turn, if I could say it this way, gives a hat tip back to Moses and talks about Moses and the coming Messiah in John chapter 5 and verse 45 through 47. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would not believe me, for he wrote of me. For if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? So we find the dialogue pointing people from the Old Testament towards a Messiah. Someone is coming. We find where Jesus himself points back to Moses, the one who had established and written the word of the law that they were referencing in this passage of Scripture. But not only did Moses write about the Messiah, but he is also the type of Christ in the Old Testament. And Moses is the only figure in the Bible to fill the same offices as Jesus Christ. And I reference those. You can read about them in Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12. You'll see where he was a prophet. It says, there not rose a prophet since Israel like unto Moses and whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses raised the bar for all prophets. You find in Exodus chapter 32, 31 through 35, we won't read it all, I'm just going to reference these, where Moses was a priest. And we find what he did, came and come down and finding the calf that Aaron made, and Moses was a priest unto them. And we know the story where he ground the golden calf up and had them drink the gob that they had believed in. We also can reference where he was a king, a ruler. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 4 through 5, Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. He was a king, a ruler unto them, not in the king of the sense of Saul and Solomon and David, but he was their ruler, and he filled three offices that Jesus Christ himself fulfilled in the New Testament. And we find that he was, we, would, we must never lose sight of the promise. We must understand that we must live and be governed by the Word of God. 
I've talked to so many religious people and you ask them a question and you ask them a Bible question and they pull out their religious books other than the Bible to try to answer a Bible question because it all comes down to them believing what men say, not what the Word of God says. Moses disobeyed God and the penalty, regardless of all the great things you could say the Bible says about Moses, we find from the preaching this weekend, we know that he did not enter into the promised land. We find that Joshua then led the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, and they possessed the promise at the first city of Jericho. And we see that happen, and we read about that in the passage of Scripture that Brother Albritton and Pastor read. So, for the sake of time, I don't want to rehash those passages, but I want to talk to us We find in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 11 and 12, and this is where I want to take my text from. And Moses lifted up his hand in verse 11, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So God blessed what he did. He said, all right, you've done this before. You can go ahead and smite the rock. Okay, I'm going to take care of my children, but I'm going to deal with you and Aaron. I'm not going to overlook your blatant disobedience. I'm going to address the issue. And he says, that promise that I gave your fathers and their fathers, You won't possess it because of your actions. Moses, if we could say, did not pass the test at the rock. Moses decided to continue to do what had worked before. The problem is he believed God and obeyed the first time. But he chose to do it his way the second time. He trusted more in the past than he trusted in the instruction that he received in the present from the very same God. The miracle that God performed with the water from the rock is beyond imagination. Because God provided, and it says that the children uh, drank from it, and their beasts also. And it was sufficient enough to quench the thirst of the entire tribe and all of their animals. That is not just a trickle. And I promise you it wasn't just a line of folks walking up to a rock, getting their little canteen out, filling it up, walking away and chugging water. But in order for that kind of water to sustain a tribe of several million people plus their animals, it had to flow like a river from the rock. It had to course through the land wherein they camped and provide strength and sustenance to them and gave them something that kept them day after day after day. It was a life-giving water. It wasn't just a little spring as I remember driving through Bentonville, Arkansas as a child and we would drive down the road and we'd seen this spring one time coming off the hill. I'm sorry, it's Buena Vista. And I remember we would slow down and pull over and Mom and Dad would allow us to run over there and we'd fill up a cup of water, this spring coming out of this rock right by the highway. And we'd done that for years. And next thing you know, it's gone. 
And then we see a sign that says, do not drink this water, it's contaminated. And look what happened. I grew into a big dork because I drank that water all those years. But that didn't happen. (laughs) That's not the kind of amen I'm looking for tonight, Brother Jerry. (laughs) Apparently, you didn't drink any of that water. (laughs) Amen. But the water that they seen time after time come out of that rock as it flowed, it sustained them and kept them. And it gave them the strength. And God provided so much more than what they were expecting because it wasn't just Moses that drank from it. I can only imagine the water as Moses walked up for his turn. And he reached down and lifted up a cup of water knowing that his disobedience brought it. It had to be a bittersweet. It quenched his physical, but it crushed the promise in his heart. He says, every time I drink these waters, I know I'll never see what God gave me. It was in remembrance of his actions that God brought it back, says you, every cup you drink. Every time you see the children's thirst quenched, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you. If Moses were here today, his words would be undoubtedly, disobedience will cost you the promise. And church, if I could just talk to you from my heart this evening, living for God is not about existing and fitting God into your life. I don't want these words to be harsh. I'm trying to encourage somebody. I didn't get this message today. Even if I did, who cares? But God gave me this message long before this weekend, and I feel that God has ordained these three services trying to get somebody to pass the test at the rock. I need you to pay attention and focus because you're wasting your time and my time if you won't engage and jump in and say, God, I didn't hear you the first two services. I don't care who it is. I'm going to pay attention to the third one because God is reaching for somebody. And just because we don't have pews packed with sinners, he's trying to get you to the place where there is. And living for God and being in the church of the living God is synonymous. God has brought you to this place to speak you, speak to you. So before you rationalize your involvement in church by saying that you love God, but the commitment to church is too much for your schedule, you can't separate living for God and being a part of the church of the living God based on your schedule. You cannot afford to not be involved in the kingdom. We were called out of a life of sin for a reason. You may be wrestling with your purpose in the kingdom. And God is wanting you to know the first two steps to make yourself available is to his will. Make yourself available to his will. And then when the word of God speaks to you, obey. But some of you are holding back. You have talents. You've buried and put in the soil and says, ah, if I commit to this, it's going to require this much more from me and I just can't commit. You're standing at the rock, saint. Whoever's listening online, you're standing at the rock. Make yourself available to his will and obey what God is trying to do in your life. 
If I could make a quote from Elder uh, G.R. Travis, he made a beautiful quote, and you'll run across it, no doubt, if you listen to the messages that Bishop posted. But you'll find where Brother Travis made the comment, and he says that we are to live like dying men preaching to dying people. And if that is not your heartbeat, you're missing the purpose of the church. We are all dying. Every breath that we take could be your last. But we are to live like dying men preaching to a lost and dying world. If that's not your purpose, if your focus and your eyes are glazed over from the kingdom and you can't reach out to the lost souls, you have lost the purpose of the lost and dying that says, please pick me, please share that gospel message to me. Live like dying men. Don't strike the rock when God says speak. Don't get so comfortable with the rich, deep word of God that pastor preaches that you become bored when the word is reaching for sinners. Just because we have to go back and revisit the basics of salvation doesn't mean that we as saints can check out, but it's upon our shoulders to reach for the lost and dying. For us to respond on a Sunday night when Brother Britain pours his heart out in salvation, when we got a sinner sitting on the pew, we respond to the burden and we pour our heart out and create the atmosphere that they feel like I can only go to the altar to get this off of me. One last quote from Brother Travis, the elder. and I'll try to say it as he said it, and hopefully it all makes sense. I try to capture it. But he said, I used to say that if you don't do, if you don't want to do it, God will find someone else that will do it. But he says, I had to back up from that statement. There are some things that only he, speaking of himself as pastor, could do. He said, it will not ultimately upset God's plan, but it can upset God's timetable. And to prove this, Israel could have been in Canaan 40 years before they got there. But there were a handful of men that said, uh, I don't think so. I don't believe it. It was a handful of men. Handful of men that sustained, that said, listen, the promise our actions will push the promise off, not knowing what they were doing, but it was their disobedience. It was their doubt. It is upon us, the local church, to have that responsibility to believe the report of the Lord. When pastor gets up and delivers the word of God, we cannot pick and choose what is picked up and carried by the church. We heard it Sunday night when Brother Albritton says, get ready for babies. That doesn't mean that you can focus on your favorite pew that you chase someone out of or your parking spot that you get mad because it's not right by the door. I pray to God someone takes my pew and my parking spot and they play the drums when I can or they play the organ when this person can. I pray to God that God fills this house. It's not upon me to pick and choose the talents. I'm just glad to be a part of the plan. 
and a heartbeat should be, bring the babies. Let them walk in. Pour them into this house. I'm here to receive them. Change the diapers. Teach the Bible studies. Help them learn how to pay tithes and do it the right way. Help them learn how to worship in the house of God. Show them what a Sunday night service is supposed to feel like. Show them what an old-fashioned altar is supposed to be tear-stained and snotty rags laying on it. That's what happens in the house of God when you pass the test. God speaks to us time and time again. He shows us his word. He gives us direction. And we have a place that God is trying to take us. The pastor can fast until he can no longer walk to the pulpit and deliver, thus saith the word of God. However, the church needs to rise up and carry the burden. We must play our position. And to make a clear statement, we cannot choose to smite the rock when God only wants you to speak to it. And God has called each of us out of a life of sin and gave you the free choice to join this cause. Neither you nor I can choose the end. God alone is the one who chooses the end of this thing we call life. He's the one you can plan financially, retirement. You can plan out your day and have your calendar booked for years. But God is the one who calls the shots. You're just lucky enough to have a day to plan what you have on your mind. Moses decided to make his own decision. And God let him know that he was not going to allow him to enter into the promised land. And there is a New Testament scripture that brings Moses back into the picture and explains why the second time he smote the rock was so grievous towards God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The smitten rock represented Christ. The significance is the rock. Christ Jesus was only intended to be smitten one time. He could only be sacrificed one time. And Moses commanded to smite the rock one time. And the expected response for the second time was to speak to the rock. We find that God wants a response from his church, not in this message, but in our life, in this church today, not one that you can decide what you want to do, but do what God wants you to do. He died for you, not for your agenda, your plans, or your attitudes. He died for revival. He died for souls. He died that you may be saved. He sent a word that approached, that we often approach this too professional, too smooth, too comfortable the house of a God that God that we serve it's going to be dirty it's going to be messy it's a hospital you're going to get down here and you're going to pray with people and people are going to pray their hearts out and you're going to have spittle land on your face you're going to have snot land on your hand you're going to have people have to go down and wipe the tears from the altar thank you God that that happens in this house thank you God that you've allowed souls to come in and pour their heart out at an altar and stain the pews and say, listen, you can walk back through some of these pews and you can find snotty marks that we have to go through with a shampoo cleaner. Every once in a while when we have a work party, you go back in there and say, someone changed their life right here. This wasn't a spilt bottle. I remember this person praying right here, changing their life. That's what he died for. That's the cause. That's the rock. That's the test we must pass. We must glory in what God is doing in this house.
Speaking is the only way to grow. Moses was only given the exam two times. And God has been gracious to so many of us that he allows us to see the test repeatedly. And tonight he's reaching for you. He's trying to shake you at your very core. He's trying to get your attention. You're too focused on the smooth and the polished. You're too focused on the things that you think church should be. But God is patient and continues to work with us. And the request is to simply speak to the rock and say, Yes, Lord, I will go. I will do. I will be what you want me to be. You see in John chapter 12, verse 24, we are commanded to die. I love this passage of Scripture. Remember as a young man, minister getting up and preaching it, and it's been a prayer of mine. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You're sitting here today feeling like you have no purpose in the kingdom. There must be a death before there can be life. This goes beyond the act of repentance, baptism, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. God wants your will. Everybody say, God wants my will. He wants your will to be His will. He wants you to be, take the impression from God in your life. And when he pulls his hand away, it is not what you want, but it's what he just pressed into your life. Moses held on to his will, and it cost him. And God did not let him lose sight of the promise. You know that? God didn't let him lose sight of that promise. Even though Moses was never going to see it and put his foot where God gave the promise to Joshua, as Pastor talked about. However, it was the last thing he saw before he died. God spoke to Moses and foretold him his death and the place he was going to die. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 32, leading up to the book of Joshua. And the Lord spake in verse 48 through 52, And the Lord spake unto Moses that self same day, saying, Get thee up into this mountain of Barim, unto Mount Nebo, which is the land of Moab, that is over against Jericho. And behold, the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel for a possession. And die in the mount whither thou goest up, and be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother died in Mount Hor, and was gathered unto his people." Because he trespassed against me among the children of Israel in the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zim, because he sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel, yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go thither unto the land which I give unto the children of Israel. And God is a God of his word, because he's the one true living God. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 34, in verse 1, we find that Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo. We find this very same thing that God said was going to come to pass 
we find it unfolding in Deuteronomy 34. To the top of Pisgah that was over against Jericho, and the Lord showed him all of the land of Gilead, unto Dan, and unto Nephali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, unto the utmost sea, and the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, and the city of palm trees under Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham." unto Isaac and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go thither. So the Moses, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of God. What I find interesting is he had lived his life leading up to that very point in time, the pinnacle of his leadership. And his failure took him 40 years later to go stand upon a mountain and look over what God gave him. And it wasn't just a glance. We've seen that he gave a list of all the land that all the tribes were going to come get and partake of. And I imagine that God looked up and said, listen, look over here, Moses. I'm going to give it to this person, this tribe. Look over here. Look over this, what I promised you. But you didn't pass the test at the rock. The promised land was one of the last things Moses saw before he died. And despite all the great things that Moses achieved, he still died looking at the promise. Moses died looking at the promise. He could relive all the moments. He could go back and relive the miracles that God had done. And begin to talk in the camp and he was the man that everybody went to, stood before him, presented their trouble. He established the law, and he gave the commandment of how they were to conduct themselves. But it was his actions that kept him from going on into the promised land. It was his actions, his failure at the rock. The children of Israel were given the goal of the promised land. And some of the people were disappointed with God and the unbelief, and they refused entry into the promised land as well. It was until they all passed after the age, older than the age of 20. And as they were walking in the wilderness, they began to lose focus and begin to nitpick about their food, their clothes, and their God. God provided, yet they lost sight of what the real goal was for their life. And Jesus commanded us in the New Testament to not lose sight of the promise. He told us to keep it a watchful eye. He quoted, he's quoted as saying, this do in remembrance of me. He established, he established the breaking of the bread. He established things that we were to carry on and to remember what God was going to do in our lives. He gave instructions to the apostles in Luke chapter 24, and we all know this, to tarry at Jerusalem. And they tarried without losing their focus. And if you could take what from my message, the, the, the message that I'm trying to convey is that there are benefits in not losing sight of the promise. And we talked about it in the, ver in the, the song that we were singing before I came up to preach, and claiming my promise that God's given to me. Don't lose sight of the promise. And I can provide many examples, I won't be much longer, that prove the point that God is trying to convey to us tonight. 
The brothers of Joseph, isn't it interesting that we learn the lesson from the victim and not from the ones who ultimately should have learned the lesson? Joseph is the one that carries the story. I heard Elder Davis uh, say this recently in one of his messages. The brothers were so consumed with hate for Joseph and the attention that he received from their father that Joseph was thrown into a dark pit with no water while his brothers sat down and ate lunch right outside where he was. We know this because they then pulled him out and sold him to a caravan. And no doubt they could hear the sobs of Joseph as he begged them to get him out of a pit. It wasn't until a plan was made to sell Joseph that they pulled him out of the pit. They made fun of their brother being the dreamer. All he did was dream. He's guilty of dreaming. And saints of God, I would much rather be a faithful saint that dreamed than one that couldn't pass the test at the rock. Call me a dreamer of guilty as charged. Call me a dreamer. Call me a dreamer for picking up the vision that Bishop has got up and presented a vision 300. Call me a dreamer guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. Throw me in a pit. The world can say, why don't you spend more hours at work? Call me a dreamer. Say, why don't you be more ambitious with your job? You took a pay cut. You took a, a job. Demoted yourself so you could spend more time at church. Call me a dreamer. Call me a dreamer. Because I understand there's more things in life than what other people outside of the man that sits in this chair has in mind for me. Oh, Douglas, we could grow you in this role. We could make you successful. Why don't you come work for us? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got a dream. I picked something up from the man of God. And I'm standing at the rock. And I'm speaking to it saying, God, send me. Send me. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to speak to the rock. We look at the death of Abner. He lost sight of the city of refuge. He became so comfortable that he could hang out in the city gates and he was avenged of his death and Abner died in the city of refuge. He lost sight of the city and he didn't pass the test. He was at a place of safety. The law was there to protect him and he lost sight. Let's talk about Judas. Just a brief blurb about Judas. His betrayal is his legacy. Enough said. Kings have turned their back on God. And more focus is giving on some of these examples to the voice of the prophet trying to turn a nation around and not to the actual life of the king. It just says that this king did not do what was right in the eyes of God. And we hear, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the prophet began to speak to his people when a king could have done great and passed the test at the rock. They have no legacy. But what shrouds their greatness is the voice of correction and judgment that cloaks their legacy as the man of God got up in their day and age. As a prophet stood up and says, you're going to die. And saints, what is your calling? Let me remind you of what the Bible commands us to do until Jesus comes. Watch and pray. Watch 
and pray. We can get distracted so easily. And I read it in the text tonight. We can be so consumed with things of this world. And I'm not preaching anything that you need to do, but I'm just going to tell you what I've personally done. But I've deleted social media from my phone. I know some of you use it as a tool. I'm not successful with it for outreach. Just not how I am. I don't feel successful with it. I don't feel successful when I make a post and only church people like it. And I feel guilty if I count those contacts. So I've got to go do something. So for me, I had to say, you can't use it as a crutch. It's not just a number that pastor looks at. It's not just about increasing the red. It's about doing something that's effective in the kingdom of God. So this is me personal. I've had to force myself out of my bubble. And I've had to pray God give me a burden that far exceeds anything I've ever had for souls. I've had to get down and dig deep in the heart of Douglas and say, listen, I need to look them in the eye and tell them about Jesus. We have a great trial coming. Pastors talked about it. We can't lose sight about what God is speaking to us. In prior verses of Scripture, He tells us to be praying so that they be strong to escape the coming trials. In Luke 21, where our text was taking, taken from tonight, He says, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. That's careless and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that the day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Did you see that? A snare shall come upon all them, you and I, that dwell on the face of the earth. There was no exceptions. There was no unless you go to an apostolic church. Unless you are filled with the Holy Ghost, unless you've been baptized, he's saying, be watchful. We're applying this passage of Scripture. Watch ye therefore and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Jesus was warning them to not be so consumed with life that they forget there is a death and then a judgment. The reason a snare is successful is because the victim has lost sight of their surroundings and focused on the bait. But if they would just step back and look for a moment, they would understand something doesn't look right. Young people, when that young man walks into your life and he's so handsome and looks like he checks all the boxes, be careful. Young man, when that lady walks into your life and waves at you and says, oh, I'd like to talk to you, be careful. If they're not up front praying, be careful. If their comfort zone is the pew, be careful. If they can't talk about the kingdom of God, be careful. It's a snare. Just because you think someone's a mentor in your life, be careful of the voices in your life that you allow to come in and influence your directions. If it's not the man of God, be careful. You're setting yourself up. Listen to this preacher tonight. I've walked your path. I've filled your shoes. Listen to the man of God. 
God has commissioned us. The musicians would come tonight. God has commissioned us to fulfill his promise and do his work. He's warned us to not be so consumed with this life. And it's not like your parents that told you to do a list of chores before you got home. And then you put it off until the last minute. But Jesus said, I'm coming back like a thief in the night. No man knows the hour the Son of Man returneth. And if I could encourage you, saints of God, when you walk into a store to do your shopping, walk with your head held high. You are there on a mission. You have spoken to the rock. And you know what your purpose is in the kingdom. It's about souls, Brother Nelson. It's about going and getting that bird feed when you don't understand why. When you got three bags sitting there, but God says, go to Ace Hardware. Go to, go to Academy and get some tennis balls. You don't even play tennis. But God's wanting us to be sensitive. I can feel just the pushback. I can feel just the eh pushback tonight. I can feel... I'm getting in your corner. I'm not trying to be rude or crude. I'm not trying to shuck the corn in your face. I'm trying to encourage you. Come on and speak to the rock. Stop trying to make your own decisions in life. Why don't you bounce them off the word of God and what he has planned for your life? Every door you walk up to during outreach is a possibility. And you must remember that God has given you direction to reach out for souls. And you're going to have to fight for them. I was looking out the window yesterday. And we have a maple tree in our backyard. We've lived there for 17 years, 18 years, I don't know, a long time it feels like. Had this maple tree. All these years, we've only had one maple tree growing in our backyard. But every spring, all of those seeds, propellers come down. And they come down, and you can look at our backyard, and they're all sticking by the thousands in our yard. And it happens every year. But there's still only one maple tree. The devil may come and try to tear up your harvest. He'll mow over your seeds and the saplings that spring up. He'll rake up what you're trying to put down when we go over to Fairview Park and we begin to plant seed and walk those streets and knock those doors and pass out flyers and talk to people. And we try to plant a seed in the community that God has called. He'll try to wreck their life and make them miserable and say they're just like the other three churches that are right in the middle of this neighborhood. What's different about you? And he'll try to rip up those seeds. But here's the difference. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who reaches down and waters the seeds you plant. If you're willing to pass the test at the rock, he'll take you to the promised land. And here we pick up where Bishop preached, Brother Albritton preached. Instead of having to die on the mountain and say, I live for God faithful all these years and I've never seen the revival. Here's the baton, Brother Golf. Take it and run with it. No Get up. Pass the test. You're coming with me. I'm going to put my arm around your shoulder, and we're going to walk across into the promised land together. 
It's not about you versus me or me versus you. It's about us together, us walking in the promises, us as a church family walking in the promises of God. And we're going to walk up to the rock, which is Christ Jesus. And he said these words, out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. When we walk through the streets of this city, when you go to the store and you witness, you're reaching out and you're saying, here, take some. Drink of this. You'll never thirst again because you spoke to the rock. You said, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm in a free fall in your will, and I'm not holding myself back. God wants to do something great in your life. Three more comments if we stand tonight. Modern day issues are distracting you from your calling. And it's time for you to be mature about it, recognize it, and understand what God's trying to do in your life. He's trying to give you an answer. Every service, the man of God speaks, prompts, pulls, encourages, and you stay in the same condition. I'll only come to church. Now you must understand, at the very end of this message, I'm going to explain. Listen, I'm not talking about well, I'm on a cleaning team, I'm on a praise team, I'm on a musician, I'm on a Sunday school, I'm on an outreach. No, those are things you may have chosen. But God's choosing you. Let Him use you. Stop trying to dictate your comfort zone and just fall into His will and say, God, whatever it takes. Stop trying to supplant God's will with being busy in the church. Win souls. Win souls, saints. Win souls. What is the last thing you will see in the kingdom of God? Will it be the revival that God promised you would see? Before you breathe your last breath and you lay there and you say, I saw it. Or will it be you got it from here? I don't care how long you've had the Holy Ghost. Or how little time you've been around church. I'm speaking from the youngest to the oldest. God has called you to become. What is it? What is it, saints? God is something great. I would never know that there would be a day that I would ever grace this pulpit. And God would place my family in this church. But I was willing to say, God, what is it that you want me to become? But it wasn't easy. I didn't come here easy. It took a dream. It took me obeying men. And I, for every right, shouldn't have passed the test. But there was a time I stepped back and I pushed everything aside. Because all those years I said, if a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, and I watered that prayer with tears. And the times that I wasn't strong, and I said, oh, this looks good. Look at I can do this in the kingdom. But there was a time that men stood up and looked me in the eye and says, I feel this is what God wants in your life. And I could have said, no, no, no. You don't understand what I'm going to give up. But when the third man called me and says, I need to talk to you. 
God gave me a word for you. I was able to look him in the eye and speak to the rock. We could get so tied up in our family, our positions, but if you can't hear that small voice saying, I'm calling you, Zion's calling you tonight. It's not my voice, but God is reaching for somebody. He's trying to change you. He stood you before the rock and He's asking you, just speak. And you're going to stand there until His patience runs out. He may delay the timeline and say, well, you're not going. I'm going to move somebody else in. Saints of God, I've heard the promises for 41 years. I've got to see them. I've got to see them. I've got to be a part of a thriving church. And I'm not willing to hop churches to do it. I'm not willing to sacrifice passing the test to say, well, well, I'll just go somewhere else. Not an option. It's not an option. I've got five children that are growing up and they must see a daddy that has resolve. A daddy that puts the church first. The daddy that's willing for them to hear praying for souls. People that done you wrong hear their name cried out in praying God bless them. Save them. I want to worship God next to them. I want them to know that I come to the church and pray. And I want them to know that this means everything to me. What do your children know? What do your neighbors know? Do they think you just drive every day to the house of to church to work and come home at the same time they do? Do they know you go to church? Do they know there's something different? Have they tasted that living water that you've let them sip by being a Christian? Can we lift our hands and talk to him, saints? Just pass the test. What a perfect night. You've seen it time and time again. Let's talk to Him tonight, saints. This is your night. Make something of it. We're early. Don't even use it as an excuse. Find a place to pray. Let God begin to speak to you. You may say, oh, Brother Goff, I don't feel anything. Look out. You're not passing the test. Listen to the voice trying to reach for your heart. Oh, don't feel anything, Brother Goff. Let it stir you. Let it change you. Pass the test tonight. Don't even think about smiting it again. Oh, God wants to reach for some hearts tonight. God wants to change some lives tonight. Don't get so hung up on the things you think are important. But God's wanting to change you tonight. Hallelujah. Let's talk to Him tonight, saints. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank You, Master. Hallelujah. Give me the grace, the wisdom to pass the test, God.